Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Ann and Nick are back with a new episode with guest Bob Dagger, Chief Medical Officer at Enveric Biosciences, a cutting-edge neuroscience company developing next-generation psychedelic-inspired mental health medicines. Leading the company's drug development and commercialization efforts, Bob has a long history helping clinical science organizations create innovative solutions to meet the needs of millions of patients around the world suffering from conditions that include cancer-related distress, PTSD, and more. In this episode, our hosts explore with Bob how Enveric is working to alleviate the suffering of patients with cancer-related distress. The company's recently announced collaboration with the University of Calgary's Hodgkiss Brain Institute, Enveric's patent portfolio, and the themes and developments within the psychedelic industry that Bob is looking out for for the rest of 2022. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Bob Dagger of Enveric Biosciences. Okay, today we're joined by Bob Dagger, the Chief Medical Officer of Enveric Biosciences. Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, to kick off the conversation, yeah, uh, to kick off our conversation today, can you tell our listeners, you know, a little bit about yourself, your background, and what ultimately led you to joining Enveric? Yes, thanks again for having me. So, uh, Bob Dagger, I'm the Chief Medical Officer of Enveric Biosciences. Um, I'm a physician scientist. I originally trained in um, in France as a journalist, and I came to Boston about 25 years ago. So I uh, did a residency in psychiatry, and I practiced uh, in academia and in private practice for a few years. So a host of patients, a lot of patients with mental illness for a number of years, became also an investigator and involved in clinical research before joining the industry. So I basically spent my career um, as a drug developer in the CNS space. Started with large pharma like GlaxoSmithKline, Sanofi, Genzyme. Then I was the chief medical officer of a small pharmaceutical company called Cadent. And I was part of service organization as well. I was a CMO at uh, WCG, Medavante, and a few other companies I was at before. Um, and here I am now um, moving into the uh, next wave of innovation, bringing newer medicines to the mental health uh, patients who are waiting. Can you, can, so so um, we've had um, Dr. Joe Tucker on before um, as well, who was from uh, a company called Magic Med, who you guys purchased um, or acquired rather. Um, can you um, give just a, a, a quick overview as to what Enveric is and what you guys are doing. And then I'd like to dive in a little bit to, to the science of psychedelics. Absolutely, I'd be happy to do that. So Enveric is a small uh, company, biotech company that is uh, publicly traded on a NASDAQ that started uh, with a prime primary focus on um, the cannabinoid um, development, mainly CBD for uh, cancer palliative care 
type of indications like radiation dermatitis, et cetera. And with the acquisition of Magic Med, uh, we added and, and basically shifted the focus towards the psychedelic um, uh, world, uh, primarily in um, cancer palliative care as well. I'm happy to talk to you about uh, that indication uh, that the uh, Cancer Network Center is calling uh, cancer-related distress, which is a combination of psychiatric problems uh, that inflict, afflict cancer patients. Um, and with that, basically, we, um, we have our own uh, development engine, uh, discovery of novel molecule, and we are in the preclinical stage uh, gearing up towards preparing uh, first in human studies. When we, so our audience is, is investor based, they're entrepreneurial. Um, our, our show has really kind of bridged the gap between psychedelics and cannabis. Um, so I would say there, that, you know, we, we talk a lot about cannabis and we're starting to talk a little bit more about psychedelics. Um, I know that we know that psychedelic medicine is incredibly complex. Are you able to, to, in layman's terms, kind of lay out what is the promise for this in terms of how they work to create long-term um, cures or changes in the brain that, that really help people in the long run? That's a very general question, but is yeah, it one it that you're able to, to answer? <laughs> it is indeed a complex question. I do agree with you. And I tend to dive deeper in these concepts because it's not the brain is not an easy organ for us to just uh, talk about and understand remaining on, 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 on the surface. So if I dive too deep, just alert me, let me know. We'll give you the wrap. No. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, um, we're dealing with a complex uh, organ that has multiple uh, areas, anatomically speaking. So we have the, uh, for what, what interests us in the uh, CNS space and psychiatry and neurology and pain in general, uh, you've got the frontal cortex, prefrontal cortex specifically, that communicates with the deeper structures that we call basal ganglia. And below that, we have the um, brainstem, particularly midbrain, et cetera, where we have centers that um, make, generates uh, neurochemicals. You probably heard about serotonin, dopamine, norepinephrine, and add to that what comes dominant in the brain, the two additional ones that are called glutamate, which is the positive excitatory chemical, and GABA, which is the negative, sort of the brakes, the, the gas pedal and the brakes that regulate how the brain functions, by how many and where and to, to what extent the other chemicals in, interact together. So this is what we call brain networks. So the brain gets a electrical signal that starts in the nucleus and goes down through the end of the cell, we call it axon, to connect with the next um, neuron, uh, which we call that connection synapse. So you probably heard about synaptic, you know, the current quote unquote gold standard treatment for a lot of mood and anxiety disorders are serotonin reuptake inhibitors that work in, in that system. But they focused on serotonin basically um, we came a long way when I first trained and treated patients. The revolution of serotonin uptake inhibitors had started, um, but that was a good thing because before that, and 
that was the tricyclics, antidepressants, and others. And but for centuries before, we really had nothing. So we had lobotomies where we used to cut the brain of people in half, really, sort of. Uh, we, we're far away from that now. Now we have electric convulsive therapy or shock treatments, and we have basically tried hard and continue to be trying hard to find something better. That's why I'm passionate about what I do. This is, if I am here to answer your questions, because there is novelty, innovation that with the technology we have today and what imaging studies have, are able to tell us, what the level of detail we can get at the molecular level, we can attempt at least and have a much better attempt to put it all together, piece it, so that we can target um, all of these uh, agents that are implicated together. And the psychedelics, if I go to sort of summarize how they do that, what is psychedelics? And people call it mind manifesting, but really what does it mean? Um, and and I, I'm a scientist, I, I go by hard data and, and the evidence, and the evidence is in the brain, in the brain, what I just described. So the psychedelic agent, if it's a magic mushroom or LSD or MDMA or whatever it is, they, they tend to cause the perception, the distortion and perception, you know, as a group, we call them hallucinogens. They don't really necessarily cause florid hallucinations the same way we would think about them as in schizophrenia patient. But they do distort the, the sensory, especially the visual, uh, and, and they have a host of basically effects on the brain. You probably heard the terms psychotomimetics. They, they induce something, something like psychosis, and psychosis is hallucinations, paranoia, delusions, and disorganization of thinking. So depends on how much you use. So it's dose dependent, you use more, you get into a more severe state of that, as well as um, psycho being psychoactive. So they, they really change the mental state, the level of consciousness, the awareness. They, they could, some of them could induce dissociation or detachment from reality, especially the hallucinogens, ketamine and PCP. So not, they're not all created equal so that they differ by their, their level of impact on the brain cells and, and the chemistry, as well as the amount that you take. So they commonly, they share the effect on the 5-HT2A, which tends to be sort of the signal that someone will have a psychedelic experience when you do that, but it doesn't stop there. It, leads to what I mentioned earlier, that there are effects on the other chemicals that regulates how much more serotonin is or is not, you know, being affected and where in the brain and uh, et cetera. So I don't want to get you to be, uh, you know, it's complex and it requires a lot of sort of holding several thoughts together at the same time. But this is sort of the essence of it. Yeah, no, that was definitely very interesting and i really appreciate you walking us and our and our listeners you know through those those ways that the these treatments may be able to help these different indications um i do want to jump back to um what you were talking about earlier with cancer um because cancer is a very traumatic experience for somebody to be diagnosed with and so i'm wondering you know can you discuss what it is that you guys are doing with cancer and cancer related distress and you know what can we do to get the industry to talk about that more? I'm glad you asked, Nick. And I, I believe you, uh, you used the word traumatic 
purposely, or maybe not, but let me let me expand on that. I happen to have done fellowship in, in trauma or PTSD, uh, the term that was coined a long time ago by my previous mentor. And, and the world has come to appreciate more and more the impact of trauma on, on us humans. So the diagnosis itself of a life-threatening illness or something that's overpowering, that's going to potentially kill you or shorten your life or is, is traumatizing, uh, to say the least. But then, you know, there are a lot, number of coping mechanisms and, and modalities that the brain absorbs the information like this. The diagnosis itself uh, can, uh, can have an impact and the treatment itself can have significant negative impact as well on all of that. So there's a spectrum there. Not every patient with cancer have the same experience as the other. The spectrum starts perhaps by worry, to say the least. So diagnosis is followed by worry. Uh, worry, by the way, is anxiety. If it's excessive, we call it anxiety disorder. So you've got anger. You've got uh, a level of change in relationships, so irritability, mood changes, sadness sinks in, severe mood changes, suicidality becomes part of it, and traumatizing experience leads someone to be alienated here. Personality changes and also state of hyperarousal and avoidance, isolation, um, People with PTSD typically have nightmares about the trauma. That's different here for cancer. They don't have a specific, uh, you know, traumatic experience that they could pinpoint, but they would behave as a, as a, as a result of the overwhelming nature of this condition uh, in many similar ways. And that is a condition that is very prevalent uh, as high as uh, you know, half the patients with cancer, depending on centers and, and geography, uh, could have symptomatology. Not all of them will carry the, the disorder level, but uh, still a, a large percentage of those also have a diagnosable and uh, treatable and must be treated uh, conditions across the spectrum from anxiety, trauma, mood, um, also substance abuse, especially uh, starts with uh, painkillers because of the exposure to pain treatments, et cetera, opiates and, and other. So it's all inter, intertwined together. You guys recently um, announced a collaboration with the University of Calgary um, and their Hotchkiss Brain Institute um, for uh, EVM 101, um, which is one of your, um, I guess, would, are we calling it a new chemical entity um, for, oh, is that true? Is that what we're calling it? No, so let me give you a clarification oh. on nom okay. nomenclature. So, okay, thank you. So Emberic Bioscience is a cutting-edge company that's going to be really focused on bringing innovative new treatments uh, to the space that are inspired by psychedelics. The first-generation psychedelics are, um, are already available, are basically uh, what was mentioned earlier, uh, MDMA, uh, psilocybin, uh, LSD, etc., ibogaine. We are bringing, basically we have a strategy for first generation, second generation, and third generation. And quickly, briefly, to give you the 
the difference between them. First generation is what, what I just described, maybe with some tweaks to the mode of administration, et cetera, where you, get, you can get patent protection and you know, make them you know, make them candidate to be to develop them as, as pharmaceuticals. The second generation will be inspired by the first, but will be changed in many regards, in many aspects, with kinetics, bioavailability, the molecule itself will be different, the receptor binding profile will be different, the final effect on the brain, crossing the brain barrier and affecting the brain uh, will be different. So it's, it's adding novelty and tweaking that towards what, what matters most. You, you know, you wanna, if it's a psychedelic trip, that experience that you wanna have, how to optimize that. It starts quick, it doesn't last too long, way beyond that it's supposed to, that it's basically not overwhelming to a negative uh, state, like a bad trip people describe them, to have it to, to focus the receptor profile on what matters in our case for those anxiety, depression, trauma symptoms uh, that the, we know areas of the brain that are more impacted than others vis-a-vis uh, -vis each one of those. So we wanna match the profile with the second generation to that. The third generation is, is a shot to the moon or whatever, what, whatever description people wanna give that. But by that, it is really the attempt to try to not have it remain psychedelic, meaning uh, not, not def by default having uh, become a schedule one by the in the US, you know, it's country specific uh, scheduling for these drugs, but we want it to be able to be safe, not with high abuse potential, so that uh, the DA or other regulatory uh, agents looking at it will deem it uh, safe to be used in the patient's home, uh, you know, without without extra uh, physical. So the trip, trip without the trip. Well, probably no trip at all. It depends. The, the question here, what is problematic about the trip, and this is coming, you know that coming from the 50s and 60s and 1969 and 1970, the, the Nixon administration DA Act was enacted and, and these were scheduled, you know, scheduled drugs. And because of what preceded being abused and uh, on the streets and people did bad things under those psychotomimetic, uh, you know, symptoms that I described, you, you overuse more of it. You basically want to make sure that the amount of impact, the psychoactive properties of them is not overwhelming. And there are a lot of other psychoactive drugs on the market for use at home that are safe. So that would be the purpose to, to diverge away from that. So it becomes readily available for mainstream um, in a, at much larger scale. Okay. So, um, so, so this is what you guys are researching with EVM 101 with Calgary. So with 101, it's the first generation. Uh, we basically are accelerating the second generation as we speak. So that's EVM 201. And we have, it's like a stepwise. We have a program that we call EVM 301 that's coming behind that as well to attempt to do what, what I just described. So the 2 is the second generation and the 3 is the third generation. 
So Calgary and the Hotchkiss Brain Institute specifically is a, is a fantastic institution with center of excellence for neuroscience brain research, really. They pioneered a number of studies and they have also, unfortunately, a large population of cancer patients with CRD that is um, not, not adequately treated. So when we speak to oncologists, to cancer centers, to clinicians who are trying to support that patient population, there is a significant interest in, in offering this new line, new, new innovation uh, that the psychedelic-inspired um, you know, treatment will, will offer for those patients. So we're, we're very excited about that. Yeah, we'll be uh, sure to follow that that clinical trial closely. And I think, um, you know, once the, the data or the results on that are available, I think we'd love to, to have you back on and talk about, you know, what you guys were able to find from that um, clinical trial and the significance going forward. Um, Great. I do want to shift the conversation over to uh, your patents. Um, it was recently announced that the World Intellectual Property Organization published Enveric's first four patent applications. Can you... Um, talk about those patents and why this is significant for Enveric. Oh, yes, that's significant and very exciting for us. So to summarize it, there are a lot of quote unquote psychedelic companies out there today. What is really important and, and necessary, and as I mentioned earlier, my own pedigree, I come as a drug developer from the industry, right? From pharma and biotech. The absolute number one ingredient requirement is that you have patent protection, that you have, you know, uh, candidates that you can spend the energy, the resources, the years, the efforts on developing and have protection on, on your investment behind that. So what we have at um, Inveric Biosciences that's, that's unique is that we have a, a discovery engine um, in Calgary uh, that we have, an, we have offices there that basically was able to, with, with high talent and tact, to get educated on how nature manufactured their own um, psychedelics, you know, the, the, the mushrooms, the plants, the, the cactus, you name it, leveraging their enzymes, right? When you, when you manufacture proteins, you need enzymes, which are proteins, to make those proteins. And, um, or, or the chemicals that the plants have been making for, for centuries, and that are very difficult, if not impossible, for a chemist to do them leveraging synthetic chemistry. So what we do here, we are able to combine the biology, the enzymes, with the chemistry in the steel tank, uh, in the, in the you know, pharma manufacturing uh, paradigm, and make uh, a host of a, a large group of those novel entities that did not exist before, that the plants did not make because they did not care to make, and the humans, the chemists did not make or could not make easily. So now we have been able to success, being successful at filing these patent applications and have a whole, have a whole host of what we call a pipeline a platform that, that is, um, that has the power and potential to generate many, many uh, different permutations uh, that were inspired by the original first generation psychedelics. You know, with your 
background, um, which, you know, you have this unique um, hybrid of being um, a medical doctor and a clinical researcher. Um, how is psychedelics different from, from what you've done in the past in terms of, um, you know, different challenges, um, you know, be that regulation, be that stigma? Um, how, how is that different and how have you um, worked to address some of those challenges? That's a great question. And so basically, I, anyone, I and anyone really who enters into mental health uh, feels the stigma right away on day one. Still, mental health patients are stigmatized in our society and across the globe. And many, many attempts are ongoing and should not stop to destigmatize when it comes to diagnosing properly, recognizing, acknowledging what the human race is going through, and especially in days of trauma or pandemic, like we're going through now. Um, and the population of treaters, patients, mental health uh, are sensitized enough to understand that there are treatments, better treatments needed. So uh, the waves of treatment, I started talking about the SSRIs, we had another wave, which was the atypical antipsychotics, you know, we used to treat people with, you know, uh, neuroleptics that caused them to have severe deformation with, you know, movements of their head and tongue and face and etc. And we got away from that by giving the newer atypical ones. But the results in terms of efficacy across the board is less than optimal. Our treatments today, this is generalization, obviously, uh, could be improved by many folds. So we have, we have room to go to get better treatments. The psychedelics were discussed during my training even that we, because we all are aware of the studies that were done in the 60s that showed promise. The problem, as I described earlier, they were abused and they caused safety concerns. And for many other you know, political legal reasons, they were classified so you could no longer continue the studies and, and you know so now the stigma of a psychedelic the delic and psych is basically is a problem uh, for treaters alike and patients and the general public that what are these quote-unquote dangerous or toxic or uh, you know they, they cause people to to get addicted to them so we have to do our job to basically develop um, develop new compounds, develop the structure around the compounds that how they should be administered, how in a controlled manner. Now the, the first generation paradigm is to do assisted therapy. So basically under direct observation of a professional sitting next to the patient. So it's not at home treatment. Uh, you know, the ketamine clinics out there are basically uh, done that way as well um, under direct observation for those reasons. And then you have to figure out the safety profile as I described earlier for the Gen 2 and Gen 3 and prove, and you know, that's always that benefit-risk ratio, prove that the benefit that you will get, which we are hoping, that's the excitement here, that efficacy-wise will be many-fold superior, not equal, many-fold superior to the SSRIs and, and other drugs available. And then with 
manageable, monitorable safety profile, uh, they, there would be room for them to be basically uh, the next, the new mainstream innovative group of treatments that can be available in the future. So um, the bet is uh, uh, well, and it sounds like accessibility is is really important here because not everyone can, you know, sit for eight hours <laughs> or, right. you know, or or pay for a therapy, two therapists to be in a room with you. Or right. so um, can you talk a little bit about um, accessibility and what you if you had a crystal ball in 10 years, are you are you imagining, you know, people going to, you know, their pharmacy um, and taking these taking these drugs at home? Um, or I guess, what does it look like to you? Yeah, so the stigma is part of it, but also the, the, the medical care structure is part of it as well. As I mentioned, I started my career in France, and it's a you know global healthcare system there, and you get access to treatment easier. I moved to the US, and then I was treating my patients. I had thousands of patients in my practice over the years, uh, manage care that started during that time and just manage care and putting uh, hurdles on access to the proper care, which, uh, you know, admittedly, these were more expensive treatments, these novel treatments that I mentioned, the typical antipsychotics, SSRIs, etc. So the payers will have to pay more money for those. So you have to uh, put an argument uh, why you want to use it. So there is there were limitations and continue to be more limitations to access to even available treatments today. And with the psychedelics, basically it's going to be um, a benefit risk that is measurable in terms of um, longevity of the treatment effect. When, when you take a treatment, you measure it in the immediate course, but also because of the chronicity of mental health conditions, you have to be factoring in time. And so, and hospitalization, re-hospitalization rates and, you know, absenteeisms from work and unemployment and, and homelessness. And so all of these factors go into that equation. And, you know, the, the regulators will have to make determinations based on the future. So yeah, if I had a crystal ball, if I tried to guess if there's a Gen 3, which I'm very passionate, excited about, that will beat the current gold of gold standard and provide superiority and, and larger benefits for, for these patients who are really anxiously waiting for something better for them. Um, that will be a strong argument to make there that they are safe, hopefully, they are effective, hopefully. Uh, the the cost uh, you know will be uh, accounted for with all of these uh, factors in place, um, it'll be a strong argument to to not acknowledge uh, their benefit. So yeah, I'm ready for that next battle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and we always love it when our guests take a deep look into that crystal ball. I always think it, it provides some of the the best insights in these conversations. Um, Bob, I have a two part question for you. I know we're we're, we're getting close to uh, a lot of uh, our time here, but um, I want to pull it back and just think about, you know, 2022 and both from Enveric and from the industry side. What is it? We're, we're nearing the end of the first quarter, but what is it that has you excited about the the rest of the year for Enveric? Any developments or 
um, research that's going to be happening that you're particularly excited for? And then uh, the second part to that, you know, are there any themes or developments for the industry as a whole this year that you're going to be watching closely or looking out for? Great question, Nick. I could spend half an hour on this one, and I'll try to be brief. Because <laughs> again, it's my background being a drug developer, and if I am anything, if I if there are lessons to be learned, especially being in the CNS space, drug development, are a lot of failures and a lot of challenges. Um, no, no surprise. Big pharma got out of CNS about a decade ago to try to come back to it now. And, and, and the reason I say that is because we are excited and very, I am very excited since I joined and ongoing, we have been really blessed by this discovery engine and, and designing molecules that, that, and when you see the first experiments coming in and the next experiments, and, and uh, this is um, for any drug developer, this is, uh, uh, this sparks the, the momentum and the energy, and, and it's exponential after that. So 2022 is a foundational year, to say the least, for Enveric. For the rest of the industry, so the psychedelic industry here specifically, it's the challenge of being able to succeed developing drugs in the CNS space. That means you have to really be able to get drug-like properties for these compounds that, that you have with you to to be able to leverage um, you know, the response to, to target symptomatology, to, to target safety properly, and then to be able to have a proposition that the patients will, uh, you know, will benefit from. And I think Anne mentioned earlier the, the six hours or eight hours duration of a psychedelic trip. And what's that? What does that mean? Um, how can you curb that type of problem you have? So for us, we have strategy for all of these. Obviously, we think with the end in mind and we, we go backwards and 2022 is setting a strong foundation for us and then very energized to, to get to the clinic, ASAP. And we have the first in human program that's already lined up and, and planned for. So um, exciting stuff coming. Stay tuned, I will say. <laughs> Well, we definitely will stay tuned. Um, Bob, thank you so much for your time. Um, again, we've been talking with Dr. Bob Dagger of Enveric Biosciences. To check out more uh, about Enveric, go to Enveric, E-N-V-E-R-I-C dot com and follow them at Enveric underscore bio on Twitter. Bob, thank you so much. Thank you. And as Anne said, thanks again to our guest, Dr. Bob Dagger of Enveric Biosciences. Make sure you check out their ticker on the NASDAQ. It's ENVB. You can also learn more about Enveric at www.enveric.com and on Twitter at Enveric underscore bio. As always, thanks for listening to The Green Rush. If you want to chat with Anne or I, you can find us on Twitter with the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. Drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. We love your feedback and guest ideas. And make sure to subscribe to The Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One take.